0: Hello everyone, welcome to Random Encounter 264 or 264. My name is John o. Logan and I have a question for you. Do you remember the very first video game you played when you were a kid? Now, depending on your age, I suspect your answer is going to be very different because for my age group, uh, the first video game like the first console you probably played it on, it probably would have been the NES. Uh, If you were a few years uh, younger than me, the first one you probably played, it was on the SNES or the Genesis or uh, before that, uh, you know, the 32 bit systems, So the PlayStation or the Saturn, Uh, if you are unbelievably young, it might have been the Xbox 360, which hurts my brain to think about. Um, But Here's the thing. A big difference between today and when I was a kid is that back then parents had a very limited, uh, limited exposure to video games. They just didn't get it, uh, because they didn't grow up with it. They maybe had an Atari like years before, but that would, that would have been it. Um, so they didn't really get video games, but nowadays parents, uh, especially like in their, their twenties and thirties and even forties, uh, they grew up with video games, which gives them a very different perspective on sharing video games with their kids, uh, and, you know, it can be very difficult to know how to introduce your kids to video games. Very similar to like, what, 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 what are the first novels you introduce them to? What are the first movies you introduce them to? Or television series? Uh, and since we're primarily an RPG website, we want to ask the question, how do you introduce your kids to RPGs? And uh, today we have a whole lot of parents here to help us answer that question. So first up, making his first appearance on the podcast is Jimmy Turner. Hi, thanks for having me. Also making her first appearance on the podcast is Monica Ilove.
1: Hello, and thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely delighted. And uh, making their, God, I don't know, 20th appearance on the podcast, Wes Iliff. Hi, everybody. Yeah, you're back. You lucky people. Lucky people. Us lucky people on the podcast and those lucky people out there listening. Um, FYI, just so you know, you have, in case you're making a diagram, tracing all of the relationships at RPG Fan, uh, Wes and Monica are partners. So they are, uh, they both have, they have kids together. Um, Jimmy. You have kids. Uh, I do not have any kids, so I'm going to be depending on you three to be the adult supervision here today. Um, and uh, just because I don't have any kids or any parenting experience, uh, can uh, can you briefly summarize in one sentence or less what it's like to be a parent?
2: Whew, that is a tall task. Um, one sentence or less to describe. I could do one word and say it's chaos. Most chaos. And uh, chaos and so with
1: exhausting.
2: Yeah. But chaos in the best sense of the word. Chaos right. and exhausting. So
0: that sounds a lot like Strangers of Paradise. We're not going to kill this chaos, however. <laughs> this chaos gets to stick around. This chaos. You, 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 the hope is just to tire the chaos out so it's it's ready for bed that exactly.
3: night. Exactly. That's, that's the end goal of every day. This is like a farming simulation. You'd... You just got to hit that goal at the end of every day.
0: You got to burn through the energy. Um, okay. So what uh, cued this episode idea was a feature that Jimmy wrote a few weeks ago for the site. It's called a parent's list of the best introductory RPGs for kids. Uh, the link will be in the description if you want to check that out. Um, and well, it's, it's sort of exactly what it says on the tin. It's a, it's a list of RPGs that are uh, perfectly tailored for certain age groups that you want. If you want to introduce your kids to RPGs, these are great games to do it with.
2: So, uh, Jimmy, what what made you decide to write this feature? So, this was an idea that I've had for a long time, and um, so I've been following RPG Fan, the site and the podcast, for many years, um, and had always thought about, you know, trying to come on board and doing something, and reached out, and through the process of, you know, talking to some of the the hiring folks at RPG Fan, they had asked, you know, what Something that I could bring, like a fresh perspective to the site, that you know something unique, and this was kind of like my pitch to them was essentially what this article became. Um, I feel that these kind of articles, especially for RPGs, are not um, necessarily plentiful um, out there, um, and I know that I'm always looking for um, ways to, you know, find good information to introduce my kids to RPGs. And so, you know, I just thought this would be a good resource for other parents because, you know, if I'm looking, then surely there are other people out there looking for the similar things. I not to give you too deep a a peek behind the curtain, but I will tell you that,
0: yeah, your your particular selling point when you mentioned uh, when you mentioned this article and this idea, that was something that a lot of us went, ooh, because it's a really good idea. Uh, I think a lot of gaming journal- journalism is focused on, uh, I'd say, people people in their twenties, maybe early twenties, people who are you know gamers. Like the traditional idea of when you picture a gamer, that's what you picture. But the reality is, gamers now aren't just twenty year olds. They're of all ages, and they have kids. So the fact that this focused on that
2: was a really cool idea. Yeah, I feel that way too. Um, you know, I've worked uh, for like video game retailers in the past, and you know, um, having kids, I have a kind of a different perspective from some of my coworkers that might, you know, still be in high school or late teens, early twenties. Um, when parents come in with their kids and they're, you know, want specific answers on gaming content that, um, maybe, you know, some, somebody in their late teens that have never had kids wouldn't think about, um, You know, the kind of information that a parent would really want when it pertains to that kind of thing. Mm.
1: I can definitely say for myself, when I was first looking for, like, what video game should I introduce my kids to first? And you look online, and you will either find screen time is evil, don't let your kids sit in front of a TV, or this teen game will make all your children violent. There was never Mm. any, like, proper, here's what this game is like for a child, and... I mean, would they like it? Is it easy? Which is, I was so excited when I saw this feature come up.
0: I can definitely relate. You do run into a lot of that. It's fascinating to me because, I mean, if you kids media is if there's I mean, God, it's, it's its own industry. And I'm not just talking about Disney here, like, you know, kids, kids, cartoon shows, kids, television shows, kids, books, kids like there's a lot of uh, all media has like a little subsection for children. But video games don't tend to have that. Or if they do, it's like. Specifically tailored for very, very little kids to like teach them how to spell or something like that. And that I don't think that's what we're talking about here.
2: Right. No, this is more um, so. This is from my own experience, much of this. Um, I full disclosure, I have four kids, I have four daughters, and they range in age from 14 down to six now. Um, so my wife and I obviously I grew up with games our whole life. Um, that was kind of the first time we met was playing Mario party at a party, an actual Mario party party. Um, (laughs) so that's kind of a cool story that we can always share. Um, and so, you know, our kids grew up from the time they could, you know, walk, seeing mom and dad playing video games together. Um, so obviously they're going to have the, you know, the, um, the curiosity there. And so I never, I never pushed them away um, from their interest in video games. Um, Certainly, you know, you can get into the screen time limitation discussion, but that's a whole nother thing that we don't need to get into right now. Um, But yeah, you're right. I mean, when really young, um, you you know, there's not very many options, especially not options that I would be interested in playing. Um, I've played a couple of the Paw Patrol games. (laughs) <laughs> um with my youngest um but i mean i was introduced to to games very young but like you said my parents didn't necessarily grow up with video games so it was more of you know they bought me and my brother uh and nes and you know whatever we had four or five games for a couple of years and that we had to share it imagine that um and so when i was really young um I didn't really know what RPGs were. Mm. Uh, my first game experiences, it was either, it was Mario duck hunts. Um, oh, yeah, mine too. And, and then sports games. Cause when I was real little, my, my parents had kind of pushed me um, to the sports side, even though it turns out I wasn't, I have no athletic ability to speak of, but <laughs> <laughs> so I actually completely missed the boat on SN, um, NES RPGs. Then we got a SNES and, Really, I was still just a casual gamer back then and still was mainly focused on sports games um, and, you know, platformers. Um, I didn't actually get into RPGs until the PS1. Um, Final Fantasy VII was the first RPG that I really got into, um, you know, and followed it up with some of the other games of that time, Xenogears, um, Wild Arm series, that kind of thing. Um, And I always kind of... Wish back that I knew more people earlier that played RPGs. Um, Most of my friends that I had at that time, I had met through sports, so they also only played Sports Sims. I didn't really know what an RPG was. I mean, Sports Sims—they
0: technically have parties. They have lots of stats attached to them.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: This goes into my theory that all sports games are really RPGs. You could make the argument. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think that yeah, I think our my story and your story are pretty similar in many ways. Um, I didn't get into any nes rpgs at all i think i rented a dragon a dragon warrior game at some point but I, I didn't get it it wasn't until uh i got my super nintendo and then i played legend of zelda link to the past and uh that opened up that opened up oh overhead rpgs and then i got final fantasy 4 and that locked it in for me so final fantasy 2 uh as we knew it at the time was my first uh real rpg uh Monica and Wes, what were you, what was your uh, first RPG when you were a kid?
1: Uh, mine was definitely Dragon Warrior. Although I will say, like, I never paid attention to what genre a game I was playing was. So I would just go, oh, that game looks fun. I'll try it. Oh, that game looks fun. I'll try it. And then when I got older and started talking to, I don't know, RPG fans, I discovered that I've played all of the games you're talking about. Oh, shoot. I'm a fan of RPGs. <laughs> like, the realization came really late.
0: Mm-hmm. And Wes?
3: Yeah, I uh, I learned to read because of Dragon Warrior. Uh, my my RPG blood goes goes deep. I didn't really know what RPGs were as a whole until I think Chrono Trigger came out. But by that point, mm-hmm. my friend's brother had shown me like every Final Fantasy game that had been released in America and Earthbound and all of these amazing games that I was like, oh, those are like Dragon Warrior. Therefore, I love those. Mm. Um, so I was an RPG fan before I knew what an RPG was, uh, but it's never really left my side. Like from what age, like three or four, learning how to read off of RPGs before kindergarten
0: uh, mm-hmm. to now, uh, it's been a part of my life forever. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I loved RPGs as well, is because I was like, wow, you can read this like a book. It's like a novel that you play. Yeah, that's what really
3: got me. the The idea of there being a story in a video game was wild. <laughs> oh, yeah, crazy.
0: It was a mad, pure madness. Um, well, let's take a look at the. Let's start taking a look at the feature here, because I'd like to go through the games in the feature and talk about. Uh, why they would be good for kids. And then uh, after we get through the feature, we might talk about some more games that we think might be good for kids. Um, So uh, the very first game on the list that you put down, Jimmy, is A Bug Fables, The Everlasting Sapling. I believe that... I think that uh, Alana wrote the review for this um, for RPG Fan. Let me just double check. Yeah, Alana Alana reviewed it and Alana gave it a 90. Um, So... It looks a lot like uh, Paper Mario, so obviously very inspired by Paper Mario. What makes this a really good game for kids?
2: So that is spot on. It is 100% inspired by Paper Mario, um, and the Thousand Year Door, especially um, from what I can tell. It's one of Thousand Year Door is one of my favorite games ever, um, but I don't have my GameCube anymore, unfortunately, and you know it's hard to play that game on a more modern system, so. When Bug Fables came out, I was like, okay, this is what I've been looking for. Um, it's essentially a love letter, I would say, to the early Paper Mario games. Um, you play, um, you're a party of three bugs. Uh, it's a bee, a beetle, and I think he's like a moth. Um, and, you know, it's exactly like Paper Mario, what you would expect It's turn-based combat, but there's they, the timed hits are there. Um, a lot of little button mini games to keep um kids engaged because um with my oldest when i first tried to introduce her to rpgs i tried to go like the traditional um turn-based route Mm -hmm. um i think i think maybe i tried um final fantasy 4 and maybe grandia um and she just wasn't having it she thought it was too boring um and you know whether she's right or wrong, that's a whole other thing. (laughs) Um, But um, so I think incorporating that kind of thing into these games is great, especially for little kids. Um, It gives them something more to do other than, you know, selecting an input, waiting for it all to play out and then waiting for their turn to come back around again. Sorry, I just realized that a a problem
0: with being a parent is if you if you show your child one of your favorite things and the child is like, that's stupid. I don't like this. You can't just be like, you're grounded. (laughs) Like you,
1: I mean, you can <laughs>
0: exactly. I mean, you I mean can yeah, if you you're can. a terrible parent, but you have to respect their you have to respect their tastes. You can't just impose your uh, your own on top of theirs.
2: Right. You can't expect that your kids are going to look back on the things that you loved as a kid as fondly as they're not. Go- they don't have the same nostalgia. They're not going to remember them as fondly as you do, just because you you think it's the greatest game ever made. They may not have um, the same opinion. Yeah. Um. Bug. But yeah, so Buck Fables is great. I think the humor is really good um for all ages. Um it's not voice acted, which I actually um Wes, I'm glad you brought that up that you actually learned to read through RPGs because um playing this with my 6-year-old who wants to fight tooth and nail, you know, to do her 20 to 30 minutes of reading a night because she sees it as a chore and she hates reading and but, you know, never had a problem um reading through this game, um, with me. You know, I would read, you know, somebody's dialogue, Okay, now it's your turn. Um and you know, never had an issue with it. Um, helped her reading skills quite a bit. So that there's there's my first rebuttal to the whole video games are evil <laughs> argument that you see a lot for kids.
1: Yeah, our son is doing the same thing where he will fight tooth and nail not to read a book, but he wants to read his video games by himself. He will say, Stop reading, I can do it if you try to read for him. So it is definitely really nice because it's so motivating and it really does have more dialogue than a big old novel half the time.
0: Mm, absolutely. I mean, this game specifically, obviously, the Paper Mario style has an appeal to uh, adults, teenagers, everybody. But also, I mean, it kind of looks like Hollow Knight for kids. Like the the art style is very storybook-esque um, with bright, really nice, big, bright text and uh, fonts. So it's it's easy to read. Like I could see sitting on a couch with like I don't know a four year old and playing the game beside them and and like you say in this reading the you know the, picking characters and like I read somebody and they read somebody and putting character voices on them and that just seems like it could be really fun. It's a blast, absolutely. <laughs> from from experience here.
1: If they want to play, you just hand them a controller with no batteries and say, "You're moving the green guy." and they believe it and will sit there happily for ages.
2: Yeah. There are different
3: tactics for different ages, for sure.
2: <laughs> and it also allows you to, you know, create your own head for all these characters, voices like um, the, uh, the B uh, in this game um, will forever sound exactly like Ringo Starr to me, because that is how I voiced uh, the character from beginning to end. Not going
0: to on that. that <laughs> it, it's a good choice. It's a very good choice. So, Yeah, I can totally see Bug Fables being uh, in that mix. Uh, Wes, Monica, have either of you played Bug Fables or your kids or, I guess, Paper Mario?
1: Uh, They've played Paper Mario. But, I mean, just looking at this, this is the type of game that I would have just jumped on as a kid for being bright and colorful Mm. and adorable.
3: Our youngest, um, our son, absolutely loves Mario with, like, an enormous passion. So Paper Mario the Origami King kind of fit a lot of this, even though it's a little bit lighter on some of the RPG elements. it's similar in a lot of ways. It still is is very much part of the Paper Mario series, and I mean that helped him motivate to to read a little bit more often. I think of all the games that he's played, that's probably the one that most got him interested in. Okay, I want to read this by myself. You all be quiet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, that's nice. And I think I think like just looking at this, I think it's a great way to open this feature, especially um, because it is. It, it looks like it's it's for all ages. Simply put, it's a for all ages kind of uh, for all ages kind of looking game. Um, continuing onward in the feature, the next game that you have listed is Kingdom Hearts, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why kids might like Kingdom Hearts, especially if they are Disney fanatics. Um, for those of you who have never played video games, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, but Kingdom Hearts is a Disney slash Final Fantasy crossover series. Uh, that has multiple characters from uh, the Final Fantasy games, that you travel between various worlds in various Disney universes. So in one, you like in the picture here, you see Hercules. Uh, in another, you might visit uh, the Toy Story, the world of Toy Story. There's Peter Pan. Uh, and you play as an original character. And in your party are uh, RPG archetype versions of Donald Duck and Goofy, uh, which is great because those are, you know, Donald, um, Donald Duck has always been my favorite character. I love Donald Duck. Um And Goofy's awesome, too. So, you know, if you have if your kids have any exposure to Disney,
2: this is probably a real good game for them to play to introduce them to uh, RPGs. Oh, yeah. My my kids were sold on the game when I ha- put it in their hands and said, hey, look at this cover. <laughs> that was all mm-hmm. it took. Ooh, what's that? It's got all my favorite Disney characters in it. Uh, I don't even need to know anything else. Let's just try this. But, you know, I grew up. I love the game, too. Um I'm a huge Disney fan myself. Um, goofy movie. Anybody else? Huge. Go-
1: Greatest movie ever made. Oh, heck uh, yeah. Did
0: everyone else, did anyone else have the, uh, the soundtrack of Goofy movie? Oh, absolutely.
1: <laughs> I have Spotify, so I do know.
0: Uh, the Goofy movie soundtrack is, uh, this isn't even making fun. This is a, putting down the Goofy movie, but the soundtrack is so much better than you would expect the soundtrack for Goofy movie to be. Just the songs, eye to eye, and uh, stand out are ridiculously awesome. Um, yeah, so in, in in your in the feature, uh, you talk about uh, you talk about uh, you know if your kids have any familiarity with Disney at all, uh, they're going to be sold the first time they see it. Um, and I mean, this it strikes me that this also might be a half decent uh, gateway into Final Fantasy uh, at a later stage, since they're going they're going to recognize Cloud, for example.
2: Right, right. They're going to you know. Um... Who's this character? And then that leads to another discussion. Well, that's not a Disney character. Who's Aerith? Like, oh, let me tell you about Aerith.
3: Most beautiful thing to hear a kid ask.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is the quest. This is the reason I became a parent, was to hear my kid ask me, "Who is Aerith?" Um, yeah. So the game. I mean, and also I think another reason why this game might be, and you mentioned it again in your your uh, in the, the the copy here, is that uh, unlike a lot of other games, it's not turn based; it's action based. So if your kids aren't quite, I guess, strategically minded yet and are, you know, and they, they don't have the patience yet to go through menus and fig- make a plan and figure out, okay, I, this person attacks, this person cures, uh, this is much more, well, button mashy for them.
2: Right. Absolutely. I, I mean, I acknowledge that turn-based isn't for everyone. Um, I mean, I, I love it, but, uh, it took my wife a lot longer, for instance, to understand why I liked turn-based games. She was more of the, uh, the action RPG side. So, Um, it's definitely not everybody's favorite thing. And, you know, the game also has difficulty settings, which is something that I always look for in any of these games because, um, you know, you don't want to introduce your kid to something that's just going to end up causing them frustration.
0: Okay. I have an interesting question then. I agree with you in theory, like, absolutely, you don't want to give your kid something that will cause them frustration and cause them to put down the controller and not want to play it anymore. But that didn't happen with us playing NES games, because have you played an NES game lately? I can barely play one right now, let alone when I was, like, five years old. Like, trying to play a Mega Man game as a six-year-old? Holy crap, now that is a challenge.
1: Oh, yeah, the biggest mind blowing video game moment I think I ever had was playing Mario like Super Mario for hours and hours and hours and hours, and finally beating it then realizing that was just the first stage mm. because, yeah, as a small child, you will just sit there and play the same thing over and over and over, and usually be pretty content,
3: yeah, I think that's kind of the magic of being a kid is you will play that first stage forever and not get bored of it. Um, repetitiveness does not bother you at at a certain age, so, um. I've seen the first part of games like Kingdom Hearts quite a lot, in fact.
0: I, I don't want to. Pu- I'm not putting words in any of your mouths because obviously I'm not a parent. But it sounds like that's the nice thing about being a kid. You're an idiot. You're a little <laughs> idiot. You're a little <laughs> idiot who doesn't know any better and doesn't know anything. And because of that, you're just like blissfully going through life, going la di da di da, playing World One One of Super Mario. I mean, For- I
3: wouldn't put it that way to CPS, but you're not wrong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think it's more their. They don't need very complex entertainment. Our son was playing a uh, Paper Mario like yesterday, and would not leave Toad Town. Was just sitting there throwing confetti and breaking things to get more confetti and talking, and who's was there for like half an hour. It's like you've already done everything. Go to the next place. No, I'm having a great time. Yeah, he needed one little place to explore with characters he loved, and was totally happy for that to be the whole game.
0: I remember when I was a kid, uh, my parents – I had so much energy. I had asthma, so I couldn't run, but I still had too much energy. So my parents determined that the best way to fix this was to buy me a little trampoline. So I would just get on the trampoline, and I would jump nonstop. And I remember very strongly that I had a copy of – it's the Flash Beagle Charlie Brown, and I would just – we listen to the opening song and then rewind it back and listen to the opening song again, nonstop for like hours, jumping up and down, dancing on my trampoline. I must have driven my poor parents insane.
1: Oh, yeah. If you like reading the same book and listening to the same song 20 times in a row, parenting is definitely for you.
0: Well, talking about the same thing over and over again, uh, Pokemon. So uh, <laughs> cold as ice. <laughs> That's going to piss off a lot of people. Um, rude. Fair. Very rude. Root. <laughs> so Pokemon has been, I would argue if you were to, if you were to like, I don't know, quiz the average person on the street, what would you say is the, is the, the quintessential kid RPG? I think they might say Pokemon and specifically whatever Pokemon is, uh, off the time. So when I was, I mean, I was a teenager when they came out or a young teenager when they came out. So, uh, red blue for me, but like these things, Pokemon, when it first came out, was an absolute sensation. It was like nothing else. Um, and it was, honestly, when you really boil it down, it was just a turn-based RPG on the Game Boy of all things. But it absolutely had this remarkable impact on the entirety of pop culture, including in cartoons, but also just in kids playing video games. Um, so you, you addressed that right up the top, Jimmy. You said, let's be honest, your kids know about Pokemon. They may already have a Pokemon game. And I, I would argue that yeah, this is this is kind of the no-brainer RPG if you want to introduce your kids to it. Why do you think
2: Pokemon has such an appeal to children? I think it's the collecting aspect, um, mm. or at least that's what that's what got me when it originally came out. Um, it's you know getting together with other people and you know trading Pokemon to try to get that Pokedex finished. At least that's what the original appeal was for me. Um, you know, you make your Someone you never talked to before, and you see they've got a link cable with them, and now they're your best friend. Oh, that link cable is like gold. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, um, I made best friends with the kid that went to a special event and got the ever-elusive Mew somehow that we all had to have the next day. That's a really interesting
0: take, um, the collecting aspect. And I'm curious whether or not that would be uh, reduced nowadays. Because, it, again, going back to Red and Blue, there were 150, po- 150 Pokemon, which... A lot of Pokemon for a kid, but an achievable goal um, where you were like, you genuinely could catch them all. But nowadays there are literally thousands of Pokemon, um, which is a slightly more imposing number to catch. But and yet the game itself hasn't really changed. I mean, yeah, they look a lot better now. The gameplay is a little bit more complex, but the ce- the central goal of all
2: Pokemon game is Pokemon, Pokemon, Pokemon games is how got to catch them all. I'm really glad you mentioned that. Um, And that's why in the feature that I went with brilliant diamond and shining pearl, as opposed to um, some of the more recent ones um, Mm -hmm. like sword and shield, um, scarlet and violet, just because um, the Pokedex is a little smaller in that it still feels attainable. Um, It's still more than 150, but I think I myself personally is why I kind of got out of Pokemon for a while is because that pokedex became so inflated and it no longer felt like an obtainable goal to me anymore. And as a completionist um, with OCD in, in gaming, it Mm -hmm. just, it became too much for me. I'm like, if I, if I can't, if if I can't complete this pokedex, then, then I don't even want to try.
0: Yeah. When gotta catch them all stops being a, a, a battle cry and starts becoming like a lament,
2: Oh, gotta catch them all <laughs> that that's probably the point where the game stops being fun i i my dream still is for them to just make an, an updated version of red and blue um mm. that to me those are still the best i think 150 was just like the perfect amount um of course that's you know i'm looking at i might be blinded by nostalgia there um because i was really into the anime and i just have really fond memories of playing those games with my brother Hmm.
3: I think you're onto something though because the let's go games were definitely the big hit biggest hits with our kids um that was definitely a motivator in our oldest learning to 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 read a little bit better um and I think a lot of it is that it's very finite you 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 know when you've caught them all um and a- as you mentioned in your feature like I'm so glad you brought those up as as alternatives because they really do work for younger kids who don't have quite the handle on everything yet. You know, the catching mechanics are a little bit more simple. Um, everything is a little bit more um, easy on the player. It's really good for younger kids who are just kind of getting their feet under them when it comes to to reading or video games. Um, so I think both that and Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl kind of serve two different audiences in a really nice way.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I feel like Pokemon came up with like the perfect formula on the first game. And as soon as it starts looking old, you just make a new one. So they always look fresh and new and current, but you never have to change the formula because it was perfect for 10-year-olds then, and it's perfect for 10-year-olds now. And why mess with success?
0: Yeah. And I mean, you also have a, a cartoon show, like a super long running cartoon show too that can tie into, if they like Pokemon, the game, you also have a show that you can plug them into in front of. Or vice versa as well. If they love the show, well, guess what? You get to be Ash. Yeah, I'm not sure which chicken or egg came first with our kids, but that absolutely worked together
1: with They were pretty simultaneous.
0: Honestly, what I'm learning from this podcast is I am very much a child in terms of uh, how I play video games and absorb media. Um, Well, let's move on now to Costume Quest. Now, Costume Quest is an interesting game. Um, it was a bit of a departure for one of its uh, head writers, Tim Schafer. Tim Schafer, of course, is one of my all-time favorite uh, adventure game writers. He was, I mean, he he uh, wrote uh, Monkey Island 2 Chuck's Revenge, Full Throttle, Curse of Monkey Island, uh, Grim Fandango, and more recently, Psychonauts 2. Um, so really, really well-known for his adventure games. But there was a period where when he, uh, when he first started, uh, early on when he started Double Fine, uh, they had Psychonauts, they had Brutal Legends, and then I guess he wanted to try something a little bit different, so he made this uh, RPG called Costume Quest, and uh, it is kind of exactly what it sounds. It's a very simple RPG that involves costumes, so it kind of boils down that idea of RPG uh, stats and costumes and and equipment and things like that to a very accessible level for kids.
2: Exactly. Um, I think that's really how why it resonate, resonated with my kids is... You know, again, going back to that collecting and getting to dress up your characters in unique outfits that allow them to do different things. They just love that aspect of it.
1: Yeah, I think the one thing that really appeals to kids is getting to see your costume turn into a real thing. So like you could turn it to a robot or a knight, but also you could be just sitting there like a carrot or something. And that's hilarious. And that is the type of humor, like kids get it and they laugh and they love it. And then they want to try more costumes to see what crazy thing you turn into. Mm. And then like the whole like world map is just like a big scavenger hunt where you get to mess around in your neighborhood and do things you know you're not allowed to do in real life. And I think it has a lot of appeal because you just get to be mischievous the whole time.
0: Well, it strikes me that both Costume Quest and Pokemon are – Uh, again, I'm going from my childhood and my, my very young childhood as well. Like even pre video games, um, the concepts of, uh, getting dressed up with like a trunk you find in the basement with your parents' clothes or having a collection of stuffed toys. It's like those things, but mapped into the digital world.
2: Yeah. That's a good point. Actually. Um, I think why this game, um, resonates not just with kids, but with parents too, if you play it together is because, um. It really does do a great job of capturing, you know, what it feels like to be a kid again. Uh, Mm. That childhood nostalgic feeling that is really hard, I think, to get right.
1: Yeah, for you, it's nostalgia. For them, that's next Halloween plans.
2: Exactly, (laughs) exactly.
0: It's interesting. Again, that goes back to uh, introducing our kids to the things that we love and we feel nostalgic about. It's, again, not apparent, but I feel like... (sighs) I feel like our nostalgia is, in many ways, the foundation of their uh, pulp culture literacy.
1: Yeah, that extends way beyond video games too. Every oh, certainly. Single yeah, yeah. There's a reboot or something of things we liked, or a remake of things we liked, or a live action version of the cartoons that we liked. You know, the list goes on.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and the question at that point becomes, as a parent, how heavy do you lean into that nostalgia? And uh, like if you have a choice, which, if you have a choice, what do you show them? Do you show them the 1996 Lion King or do you show them the 2020 Lion King? I, like In my mind, it's not a question. You show them, tw- you show them the 1996 version. But, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting question.
1: Just understanding that they're going to be nostalgic for totally different stuff than what we were nostalgic for mm. is like a really weird thing. Like whenever I hear somebody say, my first console was a PS3 and I just die inside. <laughs> It's I like, know. but you never had to play the same level for 12 hours straight before finishing it. Your games were so easy and well put together and the controls worked.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a fascinating point, uh, which actually I would like to talk about in a little bit, but I'd like to get through, the, I want to get through the rest of this list first, but then I'd like to dive into that idea uh, a little bit. Um, well, continuing on my mapping the real world onto video games, uh, for me, the big thing when I was a kid, my favorite toy, and to be completely honest, still my favorite toy Uh, in the real world is Lego Um, building. So in its most basic level, giving a kid a box full of blocks and tell them to go build. And there, we have many games that do that nowadays, including Minecraft. But if you're an RPG fan, uh, one of the best games to do that with is Dragon Quest Builders. Um, Have any of your, like obviously Jimmy, yours have, but uh, Wes and Monica, have either of your kids given uh, builders or I guess a game like Minecraft a shot?
1: They're playing Minecraft right now
0: oh oh, as we speak (laughs) (laughs) i've actually this
3: article inspired me to get the kids uh, i want to get them to try dragon quest builders because i think that they could get into it and dragon quest is my favorite series of all time so Uh. uh, i can't express how excited i was to see jimmy put this on on this (laughs) list
1: yeah it's again you're introducing kids to your nostalgia
3: yeah but while still kind of targeting what they like what
0: what the modern kid is into yeah and i mean obviously minecraft is very much build your own fun kind of game but as i understand it unless you're playing one of the spin-offs it doesn't exactly have what you would call a narrative whereas dragon quest builders has a simplistic one but it does have a story yeah it gives you some guidance as to what you're supposed to do next which is kind of nice what were
2: your how do your kids react to this jimmy um well they love it um they they did already play they had already played minecraft um prior to this um but i i personally couldn't get into minecraft uh because of what you just mentioned with the lack of direction um if i have lack of direction um in a game i'm just at a complete loss and i'm not gonna stick with it i it maybe it's a me problem um (laughs) but i feel like the dragon quest builders takes that minecraft formula um throw some RPG elements into it and gives um, you that story that yeah, you can wander off and kind of do whatever you want for a while, but you always know you've got that carrot dangling out there that you can come back to and get you back on track and, Move the narrative forward.
1: I was going to say, I'm the same way where like, I can't do open world sandbox. I need direction. So like on my own, I can't play even a second of Minecraft because it's just so boring. The second my kids are, they're saying, let's do this. Let's go there. Let's build this. It's like, I'm on it. You gave me direction. Let's do it. <laughs> so it's really nice that like their enthusiasm can overcome my apathy and get me into something they like.
0: Yeah, I totally believe that. I I, I understand that 100% because I feel the same way. Um, and I feel like that's something that a lot of open world sandbox games lack. And when you put that on top of it, just that little bit of direction, I don't need a lot. I just need you to be like, here's a here's a minor goal just to get me started. And then uh, this game seems like it uh, builds on that. Also, as I understand it, it's also a an alternate reality sequel to uh the original dragon quest
3: yeah that part's delightful yeah (laughs) if you choose the wrong option in uh in the original dragon quest here's what happens
0: yeah which is kind of cool that's a that's a neat twist for fans of the series and also dragon quest has something else that i imagine appeals to kids in the same way that pokemon does which is uh very identifiable adorable monsters in each game like slimes and things like that obviously are adorable it would not be be, like, I can totally imagine a kid having like their favorite stuffed toy being a stuffed slime. They're the most lovable monster designs.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But our son has decided that slimes look like poops. So whenever he sees one, he starts shouting, it's a poop. And that kind of takes some of the fun out of
0: it. Oh, that's, that's pretty funny. Especially, uh, that's the reason they probably never put in a brown slime in, uh, (laughs) Dragon Quest games. (laughs) Smart move. (laughs) Smart move. Very smart move. Um, well, let's move on to the last game on this list, which is Mario Plus Rabid Sparks of Hope. So uh, again, I'm going to keep going back with my real world mapped onto the video game world. This is kind of like playing with the uh, uh, green army men or soldiers or that kind of thing. Um, it's essentially a kid-friendly version of XCOM um, starring Mario and these adorable, ridiculous creatures, Rabbids, which... I imagine, have tremendous appeal to children.
1: Yeah, our kids started watching the Rabbids TV show after playing this game, which, I don't know, makes me a bit negative about the game.
0: Mm. I don't know. XCOM
3: for kids is such a powerful phrase that I can't get over how fantastic that is. That's a great elevator pitch.
1: <laughs> it's a confusing elevator pitch, but seeing it in action, I get it.
0: XCOM for kids.
3: Of all the games I would think would apply to a family-friendly
0: aesthetic. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is again it's a it's a bright colorful uh soft edges kind of uh graphic style which again I imagine would appeal to small children. Um what was your what, what were your kids reactions to this Jimmy?
2: So they're just big Mario fans, Nintendo fans in general and I'm not sure I think we just got the game because we tend to get every game with Mario in the title mm-hmm. um without really knowing um what the gameplay was like. Um, it was actually my second oldest uh, that got really into it first. Um, and then I kind of jumped on board watching her play it. Um, but yeah, it XCOM for kids is not completely an inaccurate description for this game. <laughs> um, again, it also has difficulty settings, um, which is great because, you know, it allows them to, you know, experiment, get the trial and error, but, you know, if, if they get stuck, we can turn the difficulty down. You can up it if it gets a little too easy, um, which I think is something that I wish more games would include. Um, I mean, obviously I know like there are certain games out there that the difficulty is, you know, what people are coming for specifically like dark souls and that kind of thing. But there's a reason why elevator pitches aren't like
0: dark souls for kids. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, It's interesting that you mentioned that. And I think it's a really interesting uh, feature in this game. The Like you mentioned, the invulnerability mode, especially for younger children because they get the enjoyment of playing the game uh, and uh, without having to worry about losing or getting frustrated in that sense, they can just play. So there's no lose state.
2: That was my favorite part of it, um, especially with my youngest um, just having that option to where you're right, you're just playing there's no fear of failure. an interesting thing that I have
0: i believe is that maybe mistakenly, and maybe it's because I was a Nintendo kid growing up, but Nintendo has always struck me as the much more kid friendly the most kid friendly console, and I don't just mean that in terms of its presentation or its characters or games even, I also mean in the way they appeal to different age groups, because if you're playing a especially a recent Mario game, for example, let's let's say you're playing uh, Odyssey, or one of the Galaxy games, if you repeatedly die, if you fall off the ledge, or if you get killed, and it happens repeatedly throughout a level, at the very beginning of the level, I, I believe Luigi appears, and he's like, hey, do you want to use, do you want a little bit of help? Or like, hey, do you want this, uh, this special uh, raccoon suit that will help you beat the level? And I think adult gamers look at that and they're like, that's insulting. How dare you ask me that question? But it, that it's not meant for them. It's meant for the kids. And in that way, I think Nintendo appeals to a younger demographic in a way that is very organic and very friendly, which I imagine that parents appreciate.
1: Please don't say that's not meant for adults because I use those features an awful lot.
0: Okay, it meant for adults <laughs> who are like, Dark Souls, get good, that kind of player. <laughs> I'm more
1: of a, hey, bro, have fun.
0: I mean, I think the Dark Souls would be improved immensely if, at the beginning of a level that you keep dying at, if they gave you a golden raccoon suit.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Well, let's. Uh, I, I, before we're, we're actually through this list, and it's a really, really great feature, and it it dives into a lot of your thoughts, Jimmy, on why these games are great for uh, kids. Um, before we move on to talk a little bit about, well. It, a little bit more about uh, video games, the reason why games are important for kids. Uh, Monica and Wes, what games would you have on your own personal list? Like what games have you uh, given your kids that they they love and that you love in return?
3: I've got to give a shout out to Mario and Luigi. Um, mm. As soon as it became available on Switch, um, my son absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, he's not necessarily playing it on his own, but even just watching me play it and seeing how this more complex Mario RPG with a little bit more interaction goes. Um, He's having an absolute blast. I think he's kind of like trying to perfect until the point where he feels confident playing it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know anything that includes something, you know, very mainstream happy for kids like Mario just, it hits so many triggers for them that are really positive.
1: I mean, I feel like we started them on um, like mini games, like Mario party kind of things. Things where it wasn't a big, long slog that you needed to pay a lot of attention to and understand details. It was like, this is 30 seconds, and we can do it as many times as you want, because it's only 30 seconds.
3: As and I a think matter that- of fact, I, I was going to say that that is a good uh, place to bring up that Dokoban Kingdom is getting a new release. <gasps> <What>? um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's coming out in the next couple of months, I believe, and... Uh, speaking of ways to get our kids into RPGs, I think we're going to be playing a whole lot of that as a family in the near future. <laughs>
1: it's rock, paper, scissors where you get to draw on somebody if you, they fail.
3: Yeah, it is It is RPG Mario Party uh, in all of the best ways. That's one to keep an eye on if you have kids that you want to kind of get into RPGs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an absolute blast no matter your age. And you can be very childish about what you do when you duel someone and win. Because, yeah, you can like take their items or you can... Do something that will give you an advantage, or you can just draw on their face
0: and make them look <laughs> ridiculous. That sounds like fun. And what you said about mini mini games, uh, Monica. So you, you know, games that have lo- lots of mini games. What I'm hearing is that then logically, Yakuza would be the perfect game for children. Oh, absolutely, obviously, yeah. yeah. Yes, that's, I mean, that's it's what got I'm hearing got here.
1: One of the most popular characters around right now. Um, they get to learn about other cultures.
0: I think Majima is the perfect role model for children. Just a great...
1: <laughs> I mean, it's got claw games, which they love.
3: Oh, yeah. Uh, I've actually had my kids help me with the claw games in Yakuza while making very sure they can't see the rest of the game.
1: <laughs> hey, anything you can do to get your kids to participate is something.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I was thinking, for me, um, again, I don't have kids, um, but I, I, I have thought about this. Like, what, what kind of games would I uh, give my kids to play? And I think that I would be tempted, not just for nostalgia reasons, to get them to play older video games, um, and not just because they're they're what I grew up with, but also there has been a lot of talk about video game literacy, and we talked early on in this in this episode about how uh, you know this is these are some of the first generations of parents to actually have grown up with video game literacy. They they know video games. They understand the language of how to play them. Uh, They're not threatening in that way, like I think video games could be really threatening to uh, certain demographics before us. Um, I feel like some older video games from the, maybe not the NES era, because NES is impossibly difficult, but from Super Nintendo and from the PlayStation era, they do tend to have some more simplistic gameplay and stories uh, that might be a little bit easier for younger children to absorb. And I don't think that necessarily the somewhat dated graphics would be quite as big a An obstacle for them i might be wrong about that but by getting them to play these games from previous console generations i imagine that it can help them learn the language of video games kind of like the equivalent of reading a a kid's book before you read a three uh, like a 500 page novel um it will teach them the the history of video games without them actually being taught it if that makes sense does that sound at all logical or am i would i just be a terrible parent um Keeping in mind that I just suggested making your kids play Yakuza. so (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, half the time, if the graphics on the game are not as current as the cartoons they can watch, they'll just choose to watch cartoons. It's got to be something that appeals to their modern sensibility. And after they say, hey, that was fun. Do you have any more? That's when you can start breaking out the, like, this one's a bit older, but – and I think starting mm. them on pixel art, they're just going to go, what is this? I don't even know what that picture is. I mean, I'm just speaking from my experience with my kids, obviously. yeah, Some kids are going to play whatever you give them and be happy. But like I said, if, if it's not as good as a cartoon, just watch a cartoon.
3: Hmm. I think Jimmy included two of the best examples to get kids playing older video games. Um, Mario RPG. Because those kids are going to learn to like Mario real quick, regardless. (laughs) That's -hmm. just kind of a fact of life with with having kids. Um, The other one is Earthbound. I think really appeals to kids, even in the modern day. But it does require, like Monica said, some of that, like, okay, we need to EQ in to the idea of RPGs with more modern games. But after we get you there, something like Earthbound, that's very childlike in its morality and and has all that bright, colorful ridiculousness, where at some point you might just fight a sentient pile of puke, uh, kids will find that hilarious. Um, honestly, that is still hilarious to kids today. Um, I think that's a really good. And, and like I said, Jimmy mentioned a lot of these, um, including Shining Force, which does my heart very proud. Thank you for that, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> a lot of the older games that might appeal
2: to kids most yeah mine um it's hit or miss with mine um but i think i think monica you're pretty spot on with it might be a better option to start them out on something more modern and then work your way back um actually i plan on playing earthbound with the with my six-year-old next is that's the next game on our list that we're gonna try to get into i didn't want to start her out with that one though because Maybe it's just me, but that game is a lot more frustrating than I remember it being. <laughs> I'm it playing it be. right now. Oh my god, it's killing me. <laughs> you know
3: what What a funny game my, my parent friend found that really worked was Secret of Mana with his oh, kids. Oh yeah, I can see that. Because since, you know, as the main character, as the first player, you can take care of a lot of the fiddly bits and just let the other player just... You know, attack when your bar is full. Just go, go crazy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really good, like, anything you can take your kids along for the ride on, where you're the first player and doing a lot of the work. My my son really liked Tales of Vesperia uh, for oh, the yeah, same reason. Um, because he got to feel like he was contributing by just jamming one button, you know, picking a, mm-hmm. a physical attacker and
0: then going crazy on it. I feel like Link to the Past might be a good game, too, for that. Or at, at least... At least Zelda games in that, like maybe even using the the recent uh, Link's Awakening remake.
1: I think the best two ways we have gotten our kids to want to engage with a game is either if there is a toy or a cartoon that corresponds with it, they watch the cartoon, find out there's a game, they want to play the game. Or Uh, like we're pretty strict about not playing games that are inappropriate for our kids to see in front of them. So Mm. almost everything we play during the day is kind of kid friendly and half the time they'll walk through the room and won't notice won't notice won't notice but if there's a game that appeals to them they'll stop and they'll sit and they'll ask about it and then they'll start saying can i play can i play can i play When's my turn i want to go next the entire time you're playing so just playing in front of them and seeing what sparks their interest or tying it in with a toy really will like get them interested in wanting to do it.
3: I was going to say, tying it in with the toy really let us come in at, at it sideways. I always wanted my kids to be introduced to final fantasy in some way, shape or form because I want to play it in front of them. And it's appropriate most of the time to play in front of them, but hmm. I want them to like be interested enough to not sit there and like, Oh, when's my turn? When are you done? Stuff like that. And there is a Pokemon card game where you use your Chocobos to hunt for, for crystals Um and more than anything, I think that's what's gotten our kids to accept Final Fantasy as a, as an extant part of our lives.
1: You show them a Chocobo and a Moogle and they are down.
3: Yeah, it made my daughter really want to play Final Fantasy VII Remake when I was playing it
0: in front of her. And she's like, wait, is this one of the games with Chocobo in it? That is a, uh, yeah, that, that, I, I totally understand that. That is a really interesting point. And actually, Monica, something you said uh, a minute ago that, that triggered a thought in my mind that I wanted to ask you all about as, as parents. Um, You said that uh, you try to, you know, make sure that everything is is kid friendly. Um, And I wanted to ask uh, as parents, and obviously you have parents, would you mind me asking the ages of your respective kids, Jimmy, I know you said six to 14, Wes and Monica, uh, what age range are you, uh, are you working with
1: seven and nine,
0: seven and nine. Okay. Um, I, I, in that case, you have a few years until this question, but Jimmy, you're probably facing it right now. Um, at what age Do you think that you would say to your kids, you can start deciding for yourself what is age appropriate in terms of content? For example, if you found your kid, if you walked into the room and you found your kid sitting at a computer playing uh, the modern remake of Doom, for example, would you be (laughs) upset that they're playing that game? Or would you say, well, you know, it's a fun game. It's, you know, it's fun. The mechanics are great. And yeah, it's super, super violent. It, it, but, and I think they're maybe old enough to do it. Like at what age can you decide for yourself? What's age appropriate? I guess is my question.
2: Well, let me give you an actual example that happened to me when I walked in on our oldest about a year ago, go playing Doki Doki literature club. Oh, cripes. Woo! Okay. I, I don't think Doki Doki literature club is appropriate for an adult, let alone for a young teenager. No. Um, so, <laughs> uh, we had a very, um, deep discussion. Um, me and her mom and her. Um, of course, she cried through most of it just because she thought she was in major trouble. But really, um, you know, we weren't mad. It's just we want them the way the way I've raised my kids is I want them to have open communication with us because that's something I didn't necessarily have with my parents. Um, you know, um, didn't have the best communication. And everything was kind of you just keep to yourself and stay out of the way type deal. Um, And I don't want that for my kids. So at the same time, I don't want to be overbearing. Um, I want them to have freedom, but I also want them to um, be able to approach us with anything. And um, I really didn't know much about what that game was, um, just because it's not something that I would have ever um, considered playing. And uh, (laughs) our mom had researched it um, while I was at work one day and called me and was telling me things. And I'm like, really? Are you, are you, are you sure this is in a video game? Like, yeah. Yeah. So, um. yeah. Doki Doki literature club is, I would argue a work
0: of art. It is a brilliant game and a brilliant subversion of many of the tropes that the game isn't parodying, but is is paying homage to that being said, the content in it, uh, including, uh, uh, content warning for like suicide, self-harm, uh, existential dread. Um, see, when I was, I was posing the idea of violence essentially. Um, but I think that the way you turned it and really these are, these are, I would not be okay with my teenager playing uh Doki Doki literature club, at least not without having a talk about it first.
2: Right. And that's essentially what it was. You know, um, we had no idea how much she had already played of it. Um, I guess she had got it from a friend um, at school and they had been kind of playing it, sharing a switch and playing it that way. Um, So I didn't know how much she had already been exposed to, but we just wanted to have like, you know, these really serious, sometimes very uncomfortable conversations um, about those very topics, Um, you know, mental health, um, suicide, self-harm, all that stuff. I really think it's just, it's really important um, to let your kids know that if they're ever, having um any kind of thoughts like that to that they that it's okay to share them with you um Mm -hmm. you know because if they're not comfortable sharing um with you as their parent then that's when the issues arise um Mm. so basically hard rule uh after that um that you know if you're interested in playing a game just come to us before um and we can talk about it um and decide you know whether we're comfortable with you playing that game um, or not. Um, The last game I vetoed, uh, my my second oldest actually really wants to play Omari. And I am Uh, not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm ready for her to play that game yet. So Mm -hmm. just keeping the communication open is I think the most important thing.
1: I absolutely agree. Our kids are very good at like, they don't know, what well, games are good for them, but they certainly know things they don't like and feel comfortable telling us. So, like, I know if a game has gunshots on it, that sound upsets them. We don't play games shooting. If games have people like screaming in distress, that upsets them. And they'll come tell us, I don't like that sound or I don't like that image. And then we turn off the game and don't play that around them anymore. But they're having kids who are comfortable being able to come and tell you, like, this happened and I didn't like it or I don't like where that's going or I don't know why, but I'm just upset because this is on and like listening and respecting that. Okay. They're telling me they're not mature enough for this. They're not mature enough for this. Mm. So it kind of goes both ways as your kids knowing what they're able to play and also knowing what they are not comfortable with and being able to communicate clearly and comfortably that something doesn't make them feel right.
0: I think that is such an interesting point, and I think that the conversation that we're currently having is in very, very different from the one that let's just call it the the video game panic, the content panic back in the nineties. Uh, <laughs> like, I mean, there were actual Senate hearings about video games, like Mortal Kombat, um, where you know the violence in video games and does it desensitize children, and the and and all of this, um, and a lot of the points that were made were just flat ridiculous um even back then they were flat ridiculous they were going for the the family they were going for they were going to try to gain points off video games with certain uh groups of people to you know win elections uh like i mean i remember there was a massive thing one of the big games was the sega cd game uh night trap and uh i remember like nowadays i'm like i wouldn't want my car- my kids playing night trap but primarily because it's a sh- <laughs> video game um But like, would I have a problem with my kids playing, for example, Resident Evil um, is another question. And I'm not, I'm not a parent and thankfully I don't need to ask myself that question. But I know, I guess from where I'm coming from, I had ridiculously um, parents that didn't censor me in any real way, shape or form or censor the media that I had when I was a kid. They did it once. uh, And I lost my, I, I lost my mind at them when they did it. It was a it was a Star Trek book. It was uh, Star Trek The Next Generation Dark Mirror. And it was a novel sequel to the TOS episode Mirror Mirror. And there, my mom, I wanted to buy it because Mirror Mirror was one of my favorite episodes. And there was a scene inside the novel where Wesley Crusher, the, the alternate, the, the Mirror Universe version of Wesley Crusher is being tortured. And she happened to notice that and she refused to let me get it. And it was the first time my parents had ever censored me. Um, and I, I lost, I lost my crap in the middle of the bookstore, apparently. Like I really lost it. Um, it was the only time in my entire life where i ever got grounded and I wasn't allowed to watch three episodes of Star Trek, the next generation that were over the next three days. Um, and uh, hilariously enough, six months later, I just went to the bookstore, got it out myself and read it. And that was fine. And then my, my parent, my mom doesn't even remember this happening. She's like, I think you imagine that. And I was like, I know I didn't imagine it. Cause I can still tell you which three episodes of TNG I missed. <laughs> um so i was very lucky in that sense um and like i played resident evil when i was a teenager um and obviously other violent video games um i just didn't have any censoring and i got maybe i got lucky and i turned out as well as well uh adjusted as i am i'm um, not that i am well adjusted i'm a mess but like i don't think that's the resp- i don't think that's because of video games um sorry i'm getting off the point my point is that video game panic back in the 90 was about cartoon violence in video games, whereas nowadays, because video games have evolved quite a bit since then and have become a literal, it's it's a literal art form that uh, delves into issues. Now, the question is, how do you navigate that with your kids? So a video game that seriously deals with, uh, themes of let's, let's say depression or getting over depression, like Celeste, for example, Celeste, I think, would be a fantastic game for a kid to play, uh, and I, I would have no problem with my kids playing it because it, it deals with these issues in a very real, grounded way and actually in many ways provides uh, a, a coping mechanisms to deal with these issues. But it's the kind of thing I would want to have a conversation with them about.
1: Yeah, I, I was playing Chicory not too long ago, and my daughter kept walking in. That's so pretty. I want to play that. I want to paint the world. It's like, um, we need to have a talk before you play this because it is really deep into – what depression looks like Mm -hmm. for people. And I think I know she would be a little upset by some of those scenes if she didn't know what was coming. It's like, I haven't Mm -hmm. gotten around to letting her play because we just, she kind of lost interest before we got around to having that talk.
0: Uh, what are, sorry, Wes and Jimmy, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, it is, it it is interesting that (laughs) violence in video games has almost become like an afterthought for me. Um, it is more of the how they've evolved and become more um, tackling those more serious issues. I guess it's something I hadn't really, really thought about um, until now. Um, but, yeah, like I said, it's being able to have um, to build the trust with your kids and keep the communication open. I think I'm I was kind of the opposite as a kid where my parents were overbearing. I was, you know, I was censored at every turn. Um, whereas my wife had almost sound very similar to yours where, um, you know, her parents didn't really censor um, anything. And I think that's kind of like how we developed, you know, working together um, into like a balance, which is what we want for our kids. You know, um, mm-hmm. I don't want to censor everything. I don't want to, you know, be the authoritarian. But at the same time, I want to be able to have serious conversations with them. Um, and them to be comfortable with no matter what happens, um, being able to tell us about it, I think especially at young ages, the media that
3: we consume can have a pretty significant effect on us developmentally um and just having parents who are aware and paying attention to like what are you playing how what does this deal with? Are you ready to deal with this yet can make all the difference because I think it's right honestly for for kids to learn some of their lessons through video games every bit as much as it's right to learn it through a story through a movie or through whatever else. Like people can't learn everything from their parents. They they just they can't lean on their parents that much. They can't trust everything their parents say that much. Um that's just a natural part of life is you you look for answers in other places. So why not in video games of all places? Mm-hmm. Um, And I think that, I mean, this was a big part of how I was raised. I was raised by a single mom, which meant I also was on the not very censored part (laughs) side of of this. Mm -hmm. um, Since she was, she was working all the time. And I learned a lot of like how to deal with more significant emotions through honestly, a lot of RPGs. It's one of the reasons why um, Shadow Hearts 2 is so important to me is because it taught me to deal with a lot of stuff that became more and more important, more and more important later in my life. These you know, quote unquote, big feelings that you hadn't experienced before. Mm. Um, So I think it takes, you know, a parent being aware of of how these games are going to interact with your kids, but also not being afraid to let a game teach your kid a lesson.
0: Also, I think, and again, this goes back to, I'm not calling kids stupid by any means this is entirely just exposure. Like my favorite film as a child was Back to the Future. It's still my favorite movie. I have a. I'm looking at a giant poster of uh, the first film right now. It's right in front of my desk. Um, and as a child, I have distinct memories of just not getting many of the jokes in that movie. I just didn't get them. They just went over my head. I didn't have the con. I didn't have any kind of context for them or understanding. So, you know, I just missed them completely. And then I got it later in life. And I think that some media is like that too, where it's some kids just aren't going to get all of the some of the adult content in it, but they're going to absorb it on a different level. Then um, the question is maybe maybe you watch it. I mean l- later in life, I'm not saying that I'm not this is not me suggesting that you do this, but at some point, if like one of your kids really want to play Doki Doki Literature Club, could you I don't know if i I don't know if I feel comfortable playing a game like that with them. I feel like that's a game that needs to be absorbed by themselves. and maybe afterwards, if you need to talk about it, we can talk about it. Like, again, I I'm not a parent, so I don't have any context for that at all. So I I, I, I don't know how I would handle that. And I, I don't envy any of your positions in the sense that the responsibility you have as parents is quite remarkable. And yes, is a joy, but is also a burden in many ways to try to figure out how to protect them while at the same time giving them the freedom they need to grow.
1: I think video games are really unique in being able to deliver stories like that because mm-hmm. cartoon episodes are, what, 28 minutes? A movie is going to be three hours max. I mean, they're not going to sit through much more than 90 minutes, frankly. But mm. with a video game, it is not unreasonable for even a children's game to be 30 plus hours where they're with those characters and seeing their lives. And you can get so much depth and so much nuance because you have that much time and like you don't play it all at once. You kind of day after day, you get a little bit more. And it's really nice because then kids can see the message, absorb the message, see how characters change, and it really it gives a very unique way to deliver very complex messages to kids without. Um, I mean, it, it can give them the reasonable time for them to absorb it. You just need to mm. make sure the message in the game is something your kids are ready to absorb.
0: I uh. I completely believe that. Like I can think of many games that I would not want my kids playing until they're ready to absorb those messages. Huh. Well, I guess to, to close out this episode, I wanted to ask you all a a, a question. I'll, I'll give you a minute to think about this. Um, just as a, a fun little wrap up, we were talking, I was just talking about like, you know, age inappropriate media. And like, you know, you, as, as a parent, you need to defend your kids from that and you need to protect them from really a, the, the a negative impact that could have on you. That being said, I know on a firsthand basis, I shared the story about the Star Trek novel. um, When a kid can get their hands on a piece of age-inappropriate media and their parents don't know about it, whether or not that be a video game or, well, let's just call a spade a spade, a porno magazine, um, it's like gold. It's like finding a treasure. Um, And I'm curious, what age-inappropriate piece of media did you love as a kid that your parents may not have known that you had watched or played or read or Uh, absorbed that may have had an impact on your personality growing up
1: robocop oh
0: that's a good one
1: yeah my parents i mean it's not that they didn't know that i'd seen it they didn't care but like there was some stuff in that i think it was robocop 2 maybe Mm
2: -hmm. that was
1: like i am not comfortable with anything that just happened but like (laughs) as a kid you never never cursed you i could just turn this off or walk away so you watch the whole thing and they just Mm -hmm. have nightmares forever
3: ultra violence denouncement of uh, consumerism i mean that's a good lesson for any kid to learn at what age is
0: starship troopers appropriate to show a child that was my answer it's, okay, okay it's i just
1: it. well also
0: there's the uh there's the uh coed shower scene in it which is uh for for a uh, young person that has a certain appeal to it i would imagine and by imagine i mean yeah i loved that scene as a kid yeah configure <laughs>
1: I don't know. If you're a girl and you've like sat in the tub with your mom before, it's like, yeah, boobs, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen those. And look, those are less <laughs> saggy than I'm used to. I mean,
3: <laughs> we're unveiling
2: all the secrets tonight. <laughs> uh Jimmy, what about you? Do you have a uh, do you have any idea? Oh, man. So having such a strict upbringing, any little thing that I got my hands on felt like Oh, I've, i found it. I, I, a lot of mine came through music. Mm. Um, my parents weren't that, um, up to date on the, the latest music. Um, so I got really into, I was a metalhead, um, in high school. So, um, I kind of got into some really heavy, um, music, uh, is kind of where I found my escape. Uh, I got really into Metallica. Um, the, the good thing about like the Metallica albums is they didn't have the parental advisory sticker on them at the store. So you oh, could, yeah, you could slip that by that's cause that's all my parents knew to, to look for was that <laughs> parental advisory label. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of albums, I don't, I, I never really understood what the criteria was for those um, because I felt like I had some that probably should have had that on there. And there were some that had that on there. And I'm like, this isn't even so bad. Probably age. I mean,
0: the, the, the people who would be putting that sticker on the media, probably listen to Metallica when they were teenagers and they were like, Oh, I've, I'm fine with it. This doesn't need a sticker. I mean, it's pure hypocrisy of course, but
2: you know. Yeah. So that's, I got a lot of mine through music. Interestingly though, uh, my wife's favorite movie when she was like five or six years old was Poltergeist. So. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: What? The main character looks just like her.
2: <laughs> it's uh. It's
0: fascinating. Um, I mean, again, protecting your kids, you got to, you know, protect them from things. And sometimes the kids are behind your back doing whatever they can to prevent you from protecting them. And there's a certain level of healthiness in that, I think, as long as it doesn't go too far in the other direction.
1: Well, you know, sometimes those little goobers are just going to give themselves nightmares and go, maybe I shouldn't watch the thing mommy said not to watch. Mm. I mean, it's a self-correcting problem if they go too far. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Making mistakes is an important part of growing up, honestly. <laughs> it, they really are. They absolutely are. Well, I want to th- – you know what? was not a mistake having the three of you on this podcast uh, because I was absolutely fascinated by this conversation and the conversation that will continue to go on presumably for decades as video games continue to evolve as an art form. Uh, what is appropriate for children? What? How do you want to introduce your kids to uh, – Two video games and to role-playing games, um, I, Jamie, I agree with your central conceit for the article. Obviously, I do that RPGs uh, have a unique ability uh, to impact adults and children alike um, because of their their very style and the storytelling in it and the the reading. Uh, it it there's a lot here that's good for kids. I think um, so. Yeah, I'm I'm absolutely thrilled that three. If you could join me to talk about this. Uh, Thank you very much for coming on and sharing your own experiences with me.
2: Anytime. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Absolute
0: pleasure. Absolute pleasure on every level. Um, Well, uh, you know, they support their kids. And if you want to support us here at RPG Fan, you can do so by visiting our store uh you can do so by visiting www.rpgfan.com slash shop and we have all kinds of things in the store right now we have our 25th anniversary merchandise coming out which is really really cool uh if you want to check that logo out you can visit uh the main site and it's up in the top left hand corner there and you can get things like uh, mugs t-shirts clothing if you have a baby we have baby onesies um so yeah check that out it's a fantastic way to support the site and all of us here um, if you want to support us at Random Encounter, you can do so by checking out some of our past episodes. We've had, uh, I'm actually, I'm very, I mean, I'm i am very proud of all the work we've done at Random Encounter, but the last few episodes have been an awful lot of fun, especially uh, the Final Fantasy uh, spinoff episode where we talked about Theater Rhythm and uh, Power Wash Simulator, uh, the DLC, the Final Fantasy DLC for that. That was a super fun episode. Um, on Retro Encounter, last week was the first part of our two-parter Like a Dragon Machine episodes, and next week is part two. So you've heard me talk about Like a Dragon Machine on here. Uh, if you're interested in a deeper dive or you've played the game yourself and you'd like to get uh, you know, hear the conversation that we had, which I was, yeah, it was such a great conversation. It was so wonderful talking about these games. Uh, yeah, check those episodes out for Retro Encounter. Uh, and then we have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG Fan's music podcast. Uh, last week was a really, really cool episode. It was an interview with the composer of the hit indie RPG Chained Echoes. Eddie Mariana Crow uh, was the composer. And uh, if you've listened to the music of Chained Echoes, it's just gorgeous. It's wonderful. So uh, this episode really gives you an insight on where Eddie was coming from. Uh, I highly recommend it. And then next week we have a very special episode of Rhythm Encounter that I don't want to spoil for you. I will I will tell you that it is not another karaoke episode because that episode nearly killed me last year. The April Fool's episode, ooh, it, it that was a hard one. That was a hard one to plan. It was a hard one to do, and it was a real hard one to edit. Um, so this one is uh, equally full of joy. Let's put it that way. It is a it is a joyous episode, and I, I I'm on it. I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, with the panel. So yeah, check that out. Um, If you'd like to get in contact with us here at Random Encounter, you can fire me off a message at podcast at rpgfan.com. I'd love to hear from you if you have any ideas for future episodes, discussion questions, or alternatively, if you have any follow-up about this episode, if you're a parent yourself and you have uh, some video games that you introduced your kids to, uh, please share them with us. I'll mention it and follow up on a future episode. If you'd like to send me an email, you can do so at jloganrpgfan.com, or you can find me at Mastodon at John O'Logan at Mastodon.social. Uh, I am not the only person on this podcast with an online presence. Jimmy, where can we find you online?
2: Uh, I am on Twitter at TurnerBasedXP. Cool. And Monica, where can we find you online?
1: Oh, nowhere. I'm probably literally the only person with no social media anymore, but um, my about page on RPG Fan.
0: That's excellent. And Wes, where can we find
3: you online? (laughs) Uh, If you really want to make some mistakes, you can find me at Wes
0: Iliff on Twitter. Uh, That's about it. Well, that's uh, some people, many people would argue that Twitter is a mistake nowadays. Uh, I I quit for a while ago, so I can't speak to that. But uh, yeah, so that's where you can find us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends to help us get the word out there. Uh, You can rate us on iTunes or your other podcast player of choice. You can leave us a review. If you leave us a review, I would love to read them. Uh, Well, again, the three of you, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Again, absolute pleasure. And thank you for sharing uh, quite a bit of personal information uh, with me and the audience tonight, just about your experiences as parents. So that that, that was wonderful. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, no problem. It was Got fun. a few
3: security question answers out of that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep. And as much as I love my kids, it's always great to actually talk to other adults. Well, you talked to two of them on here tonight and me. Um, <laughs> and I'd like to thank I'd like to thank everyone for listening to this and uh, whatever you're playing, especially if you're a kid, have fun.